Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The last time former State Representative Jeannie Ives ran for office, she nearly upended then-Governor Bruce Rauner in the Republican primary. Now she's running for the congressional seat held by freshman Democrat Sean Caston. But she's got a Republican primary race against former Lieutenant Governor Evelyn Sanguinetti first. How's she going to do that? Well, we'll ask her. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is 6th District Republican congressional candidate Jeannie Ives. Before she ran for governor and before she was a state lawmaker, Ms. Ives was a Wheaton City Council member, but probably much more life-changing. Jeannie Ives is a U.S. Army veteran. She made her mark in the Illinois House of Representatives as an outspoken and staunch conservative. She ran a tough race against Bruce Rauner, and that will figure into the campaign she's running now. Jeannie Ives, welcome back. Thanks for having me on again, Craig. I appreciate it. Well, uh, I'm sure this won't be the last time. Uh, I hope not. We'll have to do some something else during the primary. Uh, but uh, how much of this campaign is about finding a balance? I mean, you're secure in your support from conservatives, but the Republican Party regulars and and moderates seem to feel safer with Evelyn Sanguinetti. Or are you seeing something different? No, we don't believe that uh, anybody is really backing Evelyn's campaign uh, to any great degree. You know, we've looked at some preliminary polling that other people have done. And quite frankly, our campaign's in great shape to win this primary and move right on into the general election and take out Mr. Kasten. Well, now you launched your campaign with, uh, in part with a video. And I'm going to quote from, from it because my colleague Rick Pearson from the, I'll give him credit where credit is due. He highlighted this. Um, demonization of disagreement is crippling our politics and dividing our country. But when you gave a speech later that day, uh, you spoke of uh, the Democratic incumbent Sean Caston as a reckless, spiteful demagogue and uh, fellow Republican Sanguinetti as the number one cheerleader for former Governor Bruce Rauner. So can you be the candidate who can find common ground and the warrior from the right? Uh, 100% I can be. Uh, first of all, the quote is misquoted because the demonization quote is actually about somebody that Sean Caston elevated as somebody he admires, and that would be Dan Savage, who is a hateful, spiteful demagogue, who at one point said that all Republicans should just be blanking dead. So that's that's where that came from. They're the demonization folks, and that's who Sean Caston has aligned himself with. Um, as far as uh, Ms. Sanguinetti, any comments I've made is basically how she has aligned herself with the rounder failed agenda and, 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 you know, core principles that violate Republican platform. So uh, we're happy to stand on our record, my record, really, uh, in Springfield as, you know, opposing, supporting taxpayers and opposing tax hikes as looking forward to um, government accountability, which I did a number of times, as working with my Democrat colleagues to expand access to health care across the state. So we do feel, though, that it's gone, gone too far, that uh, folks have uh, demonized the other side. In fact, Sean Caston has uh, literally said that he doesn't believe in bipartisanship. 
And he has also mentioned in, in one of his more recent town halls that he didn't think there was anybody good on the other side, meaning our side. So we look to find common ground and to solve problems. The 6th District is full of great people that solve problems in their everyday lives in their, and in their businesses. And we want somebody to go to Congress who will represent those really good uh, policies that, that have been that are throughout the, the 6th District and the values of the 6th District. Um, that district, well, especially the Wheaton, the, the center of that district, has long been uh, known as a GOP stronghold. But is it really the same Wheaton? Is that is the district really the same district it was? Not just because it uh, elected Sean Caston the last time out, but it's more diverse, uh, more young families there. There's 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 a celebrated homeless shelter at a place where homeless people were almost outlawed in downtown Wheaton for a little while. Uh, so, I mean, is it is it changing? Wheaton's a very, it is a very generous community. It is full of really good-hearted people who want to serve others. So from the DuPage um, Public Action Deliver Shelter to the People's Resource Center to World Relief, which finds its home in Wheaton as well. Uh, look, our district is full of people who want to do the right thing. Uh, of course, we have a large amount of churches there uh, and not-for-profits that serve everybody from the developmentally disabled to the poor. And so we're proud of that record. And so you do find folks there who who want to do the right thing. And honestly, the Democrats had an incredible ground game. And Sean Caston was not defined at that point. In fact, he could stand up and say anything that he wanted to uh, last time and nobody would know the difference. But now the left's agenda is completely unmasked. They are not hiding who they are from, you know, wanting to socialize health care and get rid of private health insurance to abolishing uh, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency to, you know, infusing identity politics into every policy choice. They are unreasonable and unserious people. I mean, if they're not trying to take away your red meat, they're trying to take away your red hat. And nobody, you know, this is, and Sean Kasten is, represents that far left contingency that those coastal elites, uh, his leader, Nancy Pelosi, he represents them and not truly the 6th District or Wheaton. Well, I do want to get to some of the issues that will exist in the uh, in the general election, but you've got to get through the primary first. Sure. And what is the choice for Republicans in this election as they as they go forward in the primary? Well, I think the the choice is obviously to vote for Jeannie Ives because I'm a proven entity. You know, I've I've well, got a record. What are they choosing between? Well, you're really choosing between somebody who is unproven in, ter- in terms of their political courage and whether or not they will stand up for core principles because my opponent has never been tested really on the battlefield of um, policy discussion at a, at a bigger level. She's never been tested, never been tested on how she will vote one way or another, and, and actually has never been somebody who has formulated her own policies and then pushed those forward into a and a, and pass legislation, even though you're sitting in the super minority and the minority. So, I think I, you know, I've got a proven track record of work, re- reaching across the aisle, quite frankly, and working to improve people's lives. And my opponent simply doesn't have that record. Um, what would you say is the biggest example of your being able to do something in a bipartisan way? So um, this and this is important for people to understand because a representative really represents. They're not so arrogant as to think that they know everything about every policy area. 
And so they actually, some of the best ideas on policy come from the constituents that you serve. One of those policies that came forward was from a man who sold insurance on the, the private market. And he brought forward a bill saying, look, you know, we, we've got a problem here where in the middle of a premium year, you've got health insurers and providers uh, separating from each other and leaving the policyholder out in the cold. We need to fix this. So I presented a bill to fix that. That bill, it took about two years to, to complete, but that bill morphed into what we call the network adequacy bill. And the, the chief sponsor of that bill was a one of the most liberal members of the Democrat caucus. But I am a chief co-sponsor on that same legislation that I initiated and then passed on. And that bill was passed unanimously in both the House and the Senate. And it's, it's become a real godsend to folks, especially in rural Illinois, that need to be assured that they would have adequate health care. So that's just one example. The other example would be my College of DuPage reform. Uh, I, look, I've always been serving in the minority. That reform would not have gone forward without Democrat help because actually I had Republicans standing up against that legislation. But that legislation became the model for further higher, higher education reform, not just for community colleges, but for all higher education institutions in Illinois. Um, just as a quick aside, are you, are you satisfied with how the reforms have, uh, have taken hold at uh, COD? Oh, yes. Uh, in fact, I was on the, the presidential search committee that brought in the first president who instituted those reforms, and then I was on the second presidential search committee um, for the second uh, um, president who just took over. Okay. Um, you've been a solid foe of abortion, and Governor Round, and you uh, oppose Governor Rauner signing a bill, HB 40, the, uh, mm-hmm. the infamous bill title that people know now, uh, that expanded public funding for abortions. Uh, you said Evelyn Sanguinetti didn't publicly oppose what the governor did. She said you were wrong, and she produced a printed statement that uh, that did, in fact, back her up. So the question is, A, were you wrong, and what did or didn't Evelyn Sanguinetti do that was wrong? Well, first of all, uh, putting out a uh, press release after the decision has ma- been made is not publicly opposing a bill. Imagine had I sat in uh, the state house and simply after they passed a, a huge tax hike, then put out a statement later saying, oh, well, I oppose that bill, but didn't actually fight and make my, my, my stance known publicly so as to influence the debate. So that is essentially what uh, Evelyn did on HB 40. She put out a press statement afterwards and then at the final part of that press statement essentially said, well, now can't we all just come together and talk about things we agree on? Really, this is one of the one of the biggest issues that they faced, and they failed to put in a policy uh, choice that most the Republicans stood by. And then after, afterwards, they want us to just come together. So Evelyn played her part perfectly. She put out a statement trying to bring conservatives back into the fold, and you saw the result of that. Um, they you know, they ended up losing the general election. Um, how, to raise this into more the, uh, the, the national level, how much do you believe that this primary is going to be a referendum on Donald Trump? Well, the primary won't be a referendum on Donald Trump. Well, maybe not the... Although I'm not, I'm not sure if I know that there are some things that uh, Evelyn Sanguinetti does oppose that the president has done. The, 
the uh, state and local tax deduction, for example, is one thing. And I'm not, I don't know what your position is on, on that, but uh, th- those are the, but, but the general election that we are talking about, is that going to be a referendum on Donald Trump? I don't believe so, honestly, because unlike the 2018 election, uh, Donald Trump was not on the, the ballot. And so f- to some degree, when you look at uh, how people perform versus Donald Trump versus the, the congressional candidates, you can maybe make some assumptions about uh, whether Donald Trump was a factor or not. But now Donald Trump is on the ballot. And so if people don't like him, they can vote against him. However, you have seen increasing support for Donald Trump's policies, maybe not his persona, but certainly his policies. And uh, when you've got the lowest black unemployment, when you've got a soaring economy, and you do have a soaring economy, despite this all dire straits, um, you know, you've got mixed signals for every statement that you may say is there's a, a problem with the economy. You've got nine other positive points to the economy. Trade has actually grown 16 percent since 2016. Uh, so we're, we have more more and varied trading partners, even as we still have a problem with our China ag- tariff agreements. So I think Donald Trump's in great shape for reelection, especially when you look at the nonsense coming out of the entire Democrat uh, field. Um, they're unserious again. They're just unreasonable. Um, and so, you know, I think that my race is going to stand alone against Sean Caston. Um. We should probably establish where you stand on on on, on the Trump spectrum here, uh, and that is the kind of rhetoric that he's become known for, whether it's through tweets or his his speeches. Um, are you comfortable with with that uh, and with those kinds of uh, pronouncements from him? Look, I'm not Donald Trump. He's not me. And you have to look to the policies that have been implemented by him. Conservative judges, great idea. The tax cut, overall, very beneficial, especially the corporate tax cut, which has helped corporations reinvest in their own plants and people. Um, Job growth, up tremendously. Uh, Our stature in the world, no one uh, is, is very good. The idea that we should start to exit Afghanistan over time, I'm in favor of that as a military mom. Um, so, and as a veteran, quite frankly, so I think overall you have to look at it to the policies that have been implemented by the, by the folks. But should people ignore the words? Do they, do they not matter? Uh, I mean, can you, can you really have presidential words not be a focus? I think that what you say does matter. I, I would not say that it doesn't matter. Uh, but I, I think that you know, people are going to make their own mind up about him. And he's uh, comes off as a disruptor and a bull in a china shop. But he's also been under attack since day one by the media, by bureaucrats. Um, he went there to drain the swamp. And many people go there to drain the swamp. But they find out it's a hot tub and they jump right in. That's, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, he's probably using a medium that he's comfortable with. I personally can't say a lot in 280 characters, so you won't find me tweeting a ton. Uh, but he finds it as a way to get his message out when the media has is demonstrably against him. 
You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Jeannie Ives, Republican candidate for Congress in the 6th District. Um, I, we, we can't escape uh, this interview without at least bringing up, I mean, you will always have, have to talk a little bit about the commercial that uh, is in every bio, uh, not by you, but a uh, bio of you by us in the news media. And, and the, I mean, it prompted some people to suggest that you were intolerant. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that something that you now looking back wish you hadn't done or, or I mean, are we going to see a different you or do you, or was that really uh, a message that you needed to get out? So I um, have answered the question about the commercial hundreds of times. You can Google my responses, but that every one of those vignettes was a policy choice that Governor Rauner made that we felt was important for Republican primary voters to know about. And that's why we did the commercial. Um, I do have to ask you about one thing that I, I honestly just learned today, uh, but I should have uh, been following this. Did you? There is a uh, a lawyer who is running for judge in uh, in Cook County, uh, Jill Rose Quinn, who is a transgender lawyer, and Jill Rose Quinn said she got into politics. Uh, she was a family. She is a family attorney, um, partly because of what Donald Trump was saying, but also specifically cites your commercial hmm. and said she was so angry at the commercial that she decided to run for office if she now has the Democratic Party backing and would become the first transgender judge uh, in Cook, in Illinois if she is elected. Well, that's that's great for her. I'm, I'm glad to see a lot of people enter the race. I'm not bothered by that at all. In fact, it has nothing to do with employment status whatsoever. It will be interesting to find out, though, should she make it to being a judge? And should a case come forward to her about whether or not transgender males should be able to compete on women's sports teams, what would be her decision there? Does she think it's fair? Because as you know, there are lawsuits already occurring because women feel cheated out of their opportunity to advance in sports to secure scholarships that would help pay for college because they have had this incident happen to them. They've had transgender men competing against girls on, girls on track field, the field of track. So I would be interested as a judge how she would rule on that. Um, I would think, though, as a, as a judge, she would, wouldn't she have to recuse herself? Well, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know. It, and how would she feel about that opinion? Maybe but, that should be posed to her. Uh, but, you know, people are allowed to do whatever they want to do in, in terms of changing their lifestyle. It just doesn't it doesn't mean that uh, it's done fairly for everybody. Um, let's talk about a, one other policy issue, and that's taxes. And I, I brought it up a little bit earlier. Um, some other Republicans, including Evelyn Sanguinetti, have been saying that they cannot cannot live with the cap on the state and local tax deduction that stops it at ten thousand uh, dollars. Uh, that was part of the uh, Trump tax plan. Do you want to see that change made to lift that cap, or are you satisfied where it is? Well, anytime you would open up that the tax cut legislation, it would not be for the specific purposes of simply raising the SALT deduction. There's no way. There would be a multitude of changes that would occur. When you look at that legislation holistically, 
85% of the residents in the 6th Congressional District received a tax benefit. Many of them don't realize that. And even the New York Times wrote a headline saying, if you think you didn't get a tax cut, you probably did. Recognizing, for, for example, that people don't actually understand uh, how that tax legislation went through. Immediately following the tax cut legislation, companies were instructed to change the withholdings on, on their employees. Employees just didn't understand they were getting more in their paycheck, which meant at the end when it all uh, you know, came through the tax return, that they may have gotten a smaller refund. That doesn't mean that you got that you paid uh, more taxes. It means that you got more in your paycheck earlier. And so statistically speaking, even the New York Times recognizes that most people got a tax cut. Uh, and for middle-income families, it was a huge tax cut. It really was because you got rid of AMT uh, for anybody but the wealthiest. It's actually the wealthiest that are, are having a problem with the SALT deduction. They live in more expensive houses, they're paying more in property taxes, and they're still subject to AMT, which is um, alternative minimum tax. Mm-hmm. So the truth is, is that I would not fiddle with that law. Opening up that law would mean opening up all parts of the law. And for the most people, that was a huge benefit. And only mismanaged states like Illinois, which is the worst run state in the union, are suffering under the highest um, tax burden um, out of any other state. So it's really incumbent upon Illinoisans to correct our spending habits, uh, align government to to a size that we can afford so that everybody benefits. Um, What criticisms, if any, do you have of, of what the Trump administration is doing on trade, if you have any? So I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a free trader. I, I believe in free trade. I think it's the best thing. It, it's interesting that nobody else has taken on China. Even Chuck Schumer agrees that we should be taking on China. Um, and we certainly didn't have such cozy trading relationships when we were going up against the Soviet Union. Now, let's realize exactly what China is. China is a communist dictatorship. And you, all you have to do is look to the protests that are going on in Hong Kong to understand the threat of liberty that those people feel knowing that the Chinese will come in and crack down on them. They've even come up with a, what they call now a social score, saying that if you, uh, if you are doing particular things online, if you're assembling in certain ways, then, then they are going to prohibit you from traveling. They are a communist state. And we have allowed them to become very cozy trading partners for us. I will say this. Trade is starting to migrate, and it always migrates. So it's migrating out of China to some degree into Southeast Asia. So we've had an increase in our trade with Vietnam and with South Korea and with other um, in Malaysia. So over time, that may occur. So when you've got friendlier trading partners, those are the people you want to promote for trading partners. China trade is problematic. I know that it's hurting, uh, you know, our farmers in particularly, but it was nice to see just recently that China said they're not going to double down on tariffs on our soybeans. So that's a good thing. Uh, But I I think that, uh, you know, uh, Trump is going to, you know, against Trump. Trump is actually doing things that maybe should have been arrested in previous administrations before it got out of control. So we'll see how this all shakes out. Again, I believe in free trade. I, I think we should have really good trade with all of our uh, other trading partners uh, like 
especially Canada and Mexico. So I'm looking forward to the Democrats coming on board with the new trade agreement and passing that. Yeah, I do want to talk a little bit about immigration. Um, Should there or can there be a pathway to citizenship for people who came to this country illegally but were hoping to make better lives and work, work and live relatively lawfully? I certainly think that uh, uh, President Trump would would uh, would like to do something in that vein. He's certainly indicated that, uh, and I don't know that. Um, but that's not the first question. The first question is really: once our border is secure, then we can determine what to do with those who are are here, is residing illegally. And I think that's the biggest thing that we need to be worried about: is securing the border uh, from the lawlessness that is occurring and the, the enormous cost in both human terms and in monetary terms that are going on. And until we secure the border, everything else is a little bit premature. That also includes uh, getting a handle on visa overstays. As we know, especially in light of 9-11, the anniversary just occurring, we know that those people that were the perpetrators, the ones that the pilots who piloted those planes, I think almost all of them were here on visa overstays. And so it's, that's another cause for concern if we don't handle that. But securing the border, taking care of visa overstays, making sure that we have verifiable um, employment uh, occurring among folks, um, among our, our companies, so that we know who is being employed. And that's the first step. And then once we've gotten that done, because nobody's going to believe we can't do this whole comprehensive immigration reform. It's secure the border first and then deal with the folks that are here. Um, some of the concerns that some of the critics are, are raising, though, is that the focus that was originally on lawless people, criminals coming over the border, seems to have shifted to people seeking asylum. And and that it, it sometimes seems as if it's about having fewer poor people or fewer lower-skilled people coming in. That's not true at all. I don't think that's true at all. For example, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. My husband, uh, my husband hired an asylum seeker from Iraq who was under uh, a death threat because they had saved a soldier's life. And so those folks sought asylum. They came to the United States. My husband gave them employment in his company. They're working out great and a great hire for him. Uh, so asylum is usually a two-year process. I was on radio with uh, the lead, the, one of the heads at World Relief in Wheaton and it's a two-year vetting process. That's what it is. And it doesn't happen in the country that you're, you're seeking asylum in. It happens in the country that they first seek refuge in. And, and these people are all coming up through the southern border, which is why Trump is right to have them, have Mexico have a stronger stance on holding these people while they are vetted for asylum status. And that's what we need to go. We already have rules in place to deal with these folks they want free entry in, and then they want to be able to disperse themselves throughout the country and fade into, um, you know, into the, 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 um, the you know, cities and, and, and everything. And that's it's fine. We need to know who's coming through our border. Um, my fault that I only left a minute for this, but, I, but let me just ask you straight up. What do you want to see as far as health care is concerned? Oh, that's a great question because honestly, it's only a minute. no, look, we think that we, we think that our problems are solvable. We, we truly believe that we have some of the most innovative think- thinkers in the state of Illinois, in the sixth district. We solve problems every single day and healthcare has got to be opened up already. 
uh, there are 35 states requesting 1332 waivers from Obamacare so that they can actually deliver a better insurance project product at lower cost and better coverage for folks with pre-existing conditions like we had before, by the way, like we had before. We need to open this up to the marketplace. We need to we need to encourage more of the health savings accounts. We need to have tr- price transparency on medical procedures and we need to uh, give block grants to the state so that they can actually serve the, the population, especially the high-risk pool population, and then that would lower everybody's insurance costs. Um, very quickly, like one-word answer, um, controls on prescription uh, drug prices? I, I'm not there yet. If, I mean, because you can't just say controls. That means that there's a lot in that, that topic, and it, it's something we have to look into heavily. And we will talk about it next time we talk. Sounds great. Uh, <laughs> that's Congress, Congressional Candidate Jeannie Ives. Thank you for spending this half hour with us. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, to our listeners, if you'd like a copy of the program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our podcast on Radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 